G'day, g'day, guys. Now, before we dive into today's show, I want to ask you a few quick questions. Are you looking to take your investing career to the next level? Are you wanting an accountability partner who will push you to achieve your goals? Are you needing to surround yourself with successful investors and entrepreneurs in order to up your game and take control of your life? Well, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, I am super pumped and excited to announce that I'm starting the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. This mastermind is a group of highly motivated, abundance-oriented, hand-selected hustlers and entrepreneurs who are ready to take that next step in their investing career. We are now taking applications for the next group of champions. If you're interested to find out more, then email me at info, that's I-N-F-O, at reedgoosens.com and put in the subject line, The Syndicator Incubator. Being a part of this mastermind group, you will have unlimited access to both myself and my business partner, Andrew Campbell, and you will understand how we have been able to build a portfolio of over 1,200 units worth over $120 million in under 24 months, and we've achieved financial freedom in the process. There are once a month mastermind calls with the group and a yearly conference where you will learn from the best in the business. So what are you waiting for? There are only limited spots, so get your application pack by emailing me at info at reedgoosens.com. And remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. When you're working with someone else who has an existing business, it's easy to turn into Robin and not Batman, right? And I knew that I had to take and do this myself, right? I had to go out and be my own pioneer and having to do my own business by myself in order to get the things I needed to get out of this for myself, in order to stretch myself and really make myself into something that I really wanted to do if I wanted to be successful and create the long-term vision. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S. podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the U.S., how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow, and ultimately created extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jason Troy, and he's an executive coach who works with executives, entrepreneurs, and rising stars to maximize their leadership potential and performance. He also helps build their executive career blueprint. He also is the best-selling author of The Social Wealth, a how-to guide on building extraordinary business relationships, which has sold, then get this, more than 45,000 copies. To top it all off, he was a TEDx speaker back in 2017 at the TEDx Wilmington, where he debuted his breakthrough team-building game, Cards Against Mundanity. I can't I'm going to stuff that one up in yours. Finally, to top it all off, he is the podcast show host of the Executive Breakthroughs, which brings together game-changing CEOs, entrepreneurs, experts to share their breakthroughs and their breakdowns. I'm really pumped and excited 
excited to have him on the show to share his incredible journey and his life story with us. But enough of that, let's get him out here. G'day, Jason. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, and I'm glad you'll be making the trek down to uh, at least the state of Texas soon. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm down there once every six weeks because uh, most of my portfolio is in Texas. So, oh, um, that's good. Yeah. So maybe one time, I'm actually coming to Dallas next next month. I'll be uh, speaking at an event down there. So maybe oh, we'll yeah, catch yeah, up yeah. for a beer. Definitely. So, um, but, mate, without further ado, let's dive into the, the number one question I ask all my guests when uh, they come on this show is, rewind the clock and uh, tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. Uh, you know, it was actually being a caddy because I could work before I was 16 and there was a way that if you went and you could double bag, you could get tips from two people at one time. Mm. And I started to meet some caddies and some stuff that were making, you know, pretty good money by doing it. And I thought to myself, well, what a great way. And I can meet some people and be outside and walk around, you know, and not stuck in some stucky place. And so it was, uh, that's what I ended up doing. So it was, was that for professionals or just for, you know, just, it was just for a country club. So, you know, right. And, and they had to end up most of the people walking because of a course, so they couldn't take a cart. So that made it so that it was pretty helpful. Right. Yeah, right. They, Sounds they like a pretty lucrative, lucrative uh, team. It was actually job. pretty good. It was actually, yeah, <laughs> way better. And I didn't even realize that until I figured out the secret was if you work and hustled really hard, you could do two people at one time. Right. So. Better than slinging burgers, mate. A lot better than that. So. <laughs> I also well, worked at a movie theater too at oh, night because wow. it was just something else and found that. And that was less lucrative, but it was a way to make money, you know, at night and do something different. So, yeah. Yeah, no, but I think it's always the, the mindset of wanting to understand the time value of money and you know, you know yes. trading your time for a for some money. And particularly when you're 13, 14, 15, 16, you learn that, right? And I, I still remember being a dish pig and like, God, oh, God, thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm washing all these people's dishes for seven bucks an hour. <laughs> but you did it and it, 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 it builds the, the callus on your, on your elbows and your hands and makes you a better, better person and hopefully a better entrepreneur. So yeah. with that being said, Take us through the story. Take us through the journey of, of being a caddy all the way through university into adulthood and, and really what you've created today. Well, you know, I, I went to a Jesuit college preparatory school. And, you know, one of the great things is the school motto is being a man for others. So it really taught you and focus on service and helping and giving and inspiring to other people more than really the religiosity of it, right? And the value of education. And doing all that really taught me a lot, right? It made me get out there and actually do works of service and help people. And what that did was I got to interact with people, all different kinds of people. So at that point, you get along with all people. You realize that people are just people. You don't look across racial lines or anything else. You just see people as who they are, right? And they accept you and you just interact with them. And, you know, and I sort of took that for granted, I think, a lot of times in my life. But I just get along with people from all different backgrounds and cultures. And so from there, you know, I went to school and I went to Indiana University for undergrad. And, you know, I started to take business classes and I got a lot of credits going into school from taking advanced placement classes. So that was pretty fortunate. So I got to do a lot of experimenting and doing things. And so school was fun and I did a lot. I was really involved in a lot of activities. So I got to work with a lot of people and I got to meet a lot of diverse people. And you've got to learn how to get along with those people and interact to get anything possibly done. And so one of the fun things I did, which was challenging, is I ran for student government, and that got me an opportunity to work with the president of the university and, you know, different levels of colleges and stuff like this. And that was also great because I got to see how academia worked and how other things going. And then uh, when I was working with some people, I thought, you know, we could really help the student-teacher ratio if we passed a 1% tuition hike that went just forgetting teachers. And I thought, what a great thing that would be because we can make a significant impact. And we ended up getting that approved. But the problem was, as a year later, then they cut budgets, essentially, right? By the other 1% down. And so the problem is it went away. Mm-hmm. And I learned a real valuable lesson about how to manip- manipulate the system and how you've got to be very exact at everything that you put in there and how you're going about doing it because well intentions and everything else don't go very far when there are people trying to manipulate the system on the other side of things. That's so interesting. And, and so 
yeah, you bring up so many different things that I could imagine you would have gone through a pretty much like a, maybe a dichotomy on in terms of how you thought about yourself, your character. You know, when you saw these people, you're trying to do good for everyone else, but then on the other side of the coin, there's someone else trying to you know backpedal or you know take it all away from you. Yeah, and then you just learn as you're going through the political nature of being in school, and you you go there thinking, oh, it's about learning. And it really is nothing about publishing and people running their own agendas, right? I mean, like the real world, but at that point when you're in college, you just don't, you don't think about it like that, right? Because you're in a position to help other people in doing it. And you're trying to absorb all these things and on different committees, making decisions. And you see how self-centered and how focused people are on their own agendas for the most part. And they sometimes try to help people, but a lot of times there's what's in it for me, right? And you learn that valuable lesson that if you don't include that piece into what you're doing and figure it out, you'll end up being on the outside looking in. It's kind of interesting how human nature is like that, right? We're always, yes. you know, people are saying, what the heck, what's in it? What are, you, what are you in it for? You know, you're not just giving me something. You're not being good off the, skin, the shirt of your own back. You know, what, what's in it for you? You know, and I'm sure at an early age, you've learned that value of people aren't always there for good. And they have their own agendas. And, and that, that would give you a different outlook on, uh, on life, I'm sure, right? <laughs> it did. And, and also, I think being involved in a lot of things in campus, when you start to know a lot of people, you learn the value of just social wealth and reputation and just like in your relationships and the value all of those things can do for you and how easy it makes life um, once you can get out there and meet a lot of people. But you got to figure out how to do that and do it successfully to manage all those things. And in school, it's relatively easy because you're seeing people every day. And when you're involved in activities, you can now keep track of all these people. And that's one of the things that I really stuck with me in my life was that if you can get into groups of people and get people to enroll in those types of groups that you want to spend time with, it's the easiest way to manage your social system. Because now if you're, doing, you're going to like one meeting or something, you can keep track of, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 people that you want to engage with at one time rather than having to separately do all those things. Right, 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 right. So to walk me through how you've gone from those skills and lessons you learned at university into what you're doing today and, and, and was there any, you know, nine to five job in between that, you know, university and, and the, the empire you're building right now? Yeah, so I went to law school and got my master's in communications immediately after school because I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and I thought the value of, you know, being a lawyer and doing communications, I thought about crisis communications. There's a lot of things that I ended up thinking that I could, you know, utilize for that. And then as I was going through school, I realized that the practice of law is not the same as the school of law. And it's not something that I ended up loving. And one of the things I ended up doing when I was interviewing in my second year for jobs was I talked to third year law students and I had asked like all the interview questions. So I was super prepared and I had a lot of friends. And so that was one of the things I knew that I needed to do. So I was super prepared for these interviews and all the questions. But one of the things I didn't ask was they said at the end, well, ask some easy, you know, question at the end, some softball question. And I was like, oh, I'll figure out, wing something and figure it out. And, you know, always the thing that you think is easy ends up sometimes either being the lesson you learn the biggest or one of the hardest lessons you learned. And so one of the last questions I asked in these interviews was, so are you happy? Right. I figured it was at that time. And I realize now it's very naive. But back then I thought to myself, oh, well, you know, that's some questions for them that they could talk about the law firm and everything else that they were doing. But here's the problem. Every person I asked them, 30 some people as I asked the question, it took the longest for them to hear it and answer back. And their eyes darted around and you could see that they were nervous. And all the rest of these questions, they were handling, you know, cool as cucumbers and had them all answered. And then you get to this question. And in the beginning of asking questions like that, you don't really notice as much. But after you start doing it for enough of them and, and a, several different places, you get to see a pattern. And then you really get to see these people really aren't happy and they don't even know how to handle a simple question like that. And then you have to ask yourself, why do I think I can do something that all of these smart, incredible people can't do themselves? And that really made, that was a huge wake up call for me because it's sort of like Michael Jordan principle. It's like, it's great to be a basketball player. Everyone's trying to compare it, but you, you, 
but you're never going I mean, the chance of you being better than the greatest player that's ever played is pretty low. And if that's your bar, you're going to be in trouble. And I thought to myself, this probably I need to be doing something else because this is going to be a really windy, tough journey. And I'm really going to be disillusioned and happy if all these people are at this place already. And was the happiness question something inside of you that you knew? Was it a more of a fulfillment or was it just, are you generally inquisitive about the happiness? And, and, I was just, and it, I just inquisitive to see, you know, did they enjoy it? Right? right. Like what excited them? Right. And I want, and I thought it would be a simple question that they could advocate and all this stuff and talk about, oh, I love this career in the law or I'm working with all these fascinating people. Right. Because I'm a natural curious person and I love to do research and I'd love to know how things work. And so I just assumed at that point, that all these people would be like this, but really it was the exact opposite. And I had never ever thought that that could be a possibility like when I was interviewing at all. And then obviously I did when I got all that information and it was in your face, you know, 30 sometimes and it's all the same, right? Blank stares and long pauses and nervous energy and eyes darting from all the way from, you know, partner level down to associates. It wasn't just like one type of person. It was everyone in an organization, right? At every possible level. So that put off alarm bells in my head and made me start thinking that, you know, I needed to start to look for something else. And so from there, I was like, well, something that interests me was technology. And so this Silicon Valley was, you know, hitting its high point. And I thought, well, I'll just go to San Francisco, right? I mean, why not? I mean, it's a great place to go. It's, place where I'm curious. I love to do stuff. Technology fascinated me. So I was like, all right, let's just go west from New York. And I really didn't give it a lot of thought. But that's really crazy because none of my classmates did anything other than the law. So everyone thought I was crazy. And when everyone tells you you're crazy, you feel like this black sheep at some point. But then I was like, I'm going to do whatever I want to do anyways, because the alternative is horrific, right? And I figured that out on my own. And you know, there are people that happen in the law. I just knew that that these were things that told me I would not be one of those people. So then I just, you know, decided to find a job in Silicon Valley. And then off I went from New York to uh, San Francisco. And I'd never been there ever before. I only seen pictures. So, um, so how did you then pivot? Because there's so many questions come out up out of that little, that little snippet there of, you know, one, understanding the the value of being happy in a job and sort of stumbling across through interviews, just that you already had a realization that this is not the career you wanted to be on. So with all this sort of building of this momentum, what you're now in a position where you're, I assume you're your own boss and you, you're creating all these awesome content. How did you get from that, those interviews of being happy all the way to where you are now, because that's, that's, you know, take getting, going through a nine to five job, quitting a job, going and starting being an entrepreneur on your own. That is all in and around being happy and self-fulfillment and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So it's a kind of an interesting, um, you know, mind grapple, which is, you know, something that sounds like you've done a lot of in, from an early age where you're grappling with all the decisions in life and are they the best decisions for me to, to move forward and be happy and fulfilled and all that great stuff. So yeah. fill, was, in, fill in the it, gaps. It was windy, right? Because I went yeah. to Silicon Valley and I got to work with a lot of great people. And so that's what held me to do that for a really long time. Like I got to work with Steve Jobs at Apple and Mark Cuban, um, the CEO of Netflix now for quite a while, one-on-one like every week. And there was just a lot of things that I was exposed to, a lot of venture capitalists or a lot of other people. So it was just one of those things where you were around the right place at the right time. And just were around a lot of smart people. And so that really did a lot for me to feed my curiosity and like doing research and figuring things out and projecting where things were going to go. So that was just something that really interested me, right? And then I was able to go on the startup route. Unfortunately, some of these things failed because I also, I hit the other um, unfortunate part of it, the bottom falling out of it all, right? So that was a huge disillusionment of all of that happening and seeing people just fall apart, right? Carnage, wreckage, people taking their own lives. And I mean, this just, it was really a hard pill to swallow. And I just, and then it was, at that point, I didn't really think about doing my own business. I mean, I thought about it in my head, but I thought more about going the startup route. And then at some point I thought, you know, maybe this just isn't for me. 
And then what happened was, is that I decided I wanted to move closer. My mom had moved to Dallas and I thought, well, it'd be great to go to Dallas. So, but I couldn't find a job I wanted. So I got a job in Austin and I was flying to sign the offer letter and stuff. And my boss said, I have a better job for you. And he drove me to another interview where they essentially hired me on the spot for a startup company that was based in Montana that was a software as a service company. And this was early on, right, before there was a salesforce.com um, sort of competitive thing on the customer service side. This is early on before these companies were really anything at all. And they had a small office in Dallas. So what happened was I could start to work there and move. And that's where I started to kind of, you know, get a little entrepreneurial roots working in something smaller and being a part of some growing business and growing a market that didn't exist at all, right? And taking on giants of Microsoft, Oracle, SAP, and other ones that essentially wanted to crush us and we were taking away their business. So it was a fascinating time to think, how do you, you know, Sun Tzu art of war, how do you outflank all these people? How do you do this with literally no resources with them having, right, some of the largest businesses in the world, um, so it was a fascinating time for me to go and do all those things. And then, you know, I just, that took its course and I went to HP thinking I hadn't worked in a large organization. How would life be there? And I picked the wrong time to go as the company was sort of falling apart, right? I didn't realize that from the outside. And then at that point I started thinking about, you know, I think going and doing something on my own would be much better because I love the relationships, I love the human behavior, I love figuring things out, but this whole politic, political mess, mess of dealing with stuff and people not really telling you all what's going on and not being in a position to figure it all out, really was become challenging as other people essentially just controlled everything I was doing, right? And these ups and downs and swings that I was having in my own job were caused because I didn't have doing these boring tasks over and over again repetitively and I came alive when I was on the road, traveling, talking to people, doing a product launch. I mean, other things that really stretched me and got me to work with a lot more people and had me doing things on a consistent basis when I was in front of them and doing it. And I thought, well, if I could organize a job like that, I would do much better. And at that time, I wasn't exactly sure what that was, but I thought, you know, maybe perhaps coaching would be it. But you know, I had a lot more soul searching to do before I knew that that was exactly it. And so talk to me about the soul searching, because a lot of people who listen to this show, myself included back, you know, many, many years ago, go through that, you know, that, that, that struggle of like, you can't be, you have more to give. You're like back to your, uh, you know, Michael Jordan analogy. I know I personally felt like when I picked up the book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, yeah, this entrepreneurial world, what is it? What, you know, but it was, it was speaking to me and I felt like a, a star athlete sitting on the sideline and, and watching my life go by. And to, to your point of like your happiness and, you know, being more fulfilled when you're on the road, when you're pitching people, there was like that calling inside of you. So how did you scratch that itch and how did you begin the journey into entrepreneurship? Well, you know, I read books and I spoke to a career coach and I found all this stuff and I found that I just, I, I didn't really have any answers, right? And then I started to talk to people who were successful and at the end of the day, what essentially they all said to me is life is nonlinear and you eventually have to take a leap of faith. And the problem with all of that is, is you won't get evidence until after you take a leap of faith and usually pivot several times. So you have a choice on what you want to do for the rest of your life, right? And this is a requirement that you have to sign up for. And it's the hardest thing ever to do. The later you get started, obviously, the harder because you have to undo these habits and then you have to do it. And I thought to myself, well, if I don't do it, I'm going to regret it the rest of my life, right? So I thought, okay, well, how can I start to do this in some manageable way? And I ended up thinking to myself, okay, well, I'll do a side hustle. I'll pick some small piece. And so I found someone who had a lifestyle coaching business that I could, I could attach to where I could help people build a great social life. Because one thing in Dallas I did was I met a lot of people and I, used, I did a lot of charity things and that's how I met people. So I thought, okay, what if I could teach other people these skill sets? And so I looked on Amazon and I looked everywhere else and I didn't find any competition from anyone else. And I thought, okay, if I could start to sliver and prove this out, I could then start to pivot into more business and other type things but let's see if someone will pay for it, buy for it. And if I use someone else's 
you know, service and their emails and everything else. Sure, I have to give up a decent percentage of it, but there's no out cost really. There's really nothing else. So I said, why not? Right. And so I started to do that. And that was really helpful for me to get me started to seeing that this stuff actually could work. Right. And, 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 and people would actually pay for it. And they valued this information. Right. It wasn't just something I thought up in my head. Right. Now I had someone taking a dollar from me and working with someone else. And I thought, wow, now there's something here. Right. Like, where could it go? Right. Either with this person or on my own. And that really started to get me much more excited. Meanwhile, I had a, I had a serious job. So you know, I was sitting there working 80 plus hours a week. And at some point I knew I had to make a decision because I was burning the candle at both ends in way too many ways. And it was starting to catch up to me like, in every possible way. Right? Was there ever a, what was that point where you came to, where you said, I can't do both anymore. I can't spin both wheels and my, otherwise you'd just be burnt out. Yeah, I was working in a company and what ended up happening is, is that the president and CEO got a vote of no confidence by the board and they owned a majority of the shares in the company and that's pretty unheard of. And I knew at that point that the people I had been working closely, there'd be a lot of turnover. And I was like, do I really want to be a part of this? I probably should just plan my exit and get out now because there's going to be a lot of problems and I don't need to be in a situation to fix all this stuff, which I didn't think would ever get fixed. And it never did, even longer term of it, right? And all my equity position at that point was so far underwater that I would never get it back and it would never be rechecked. So I, would, I thought it's done, right? So then I just planned to do it. And I said, I'm just going to jump in and see what happens, right? And, you know, I ended up realizing I had to go out and do this on my own because one of the problems that I needed to get was when you're working with someone else who has an existing business, it's easy to turn into Robin and not Batman, right? And I knew that I had to take and do this myself, right? I had to go out and be my own pioneer and having to do my own business by myself in order to get the things I needed to get out of this for myself in order to stretch myself and really make myself into something that I really wanted to do if I wanted to be successful and create the long-term vision of doing the business I wanted to have and create and not live with someone else's vision or whether they wanted to do it or whether they didn't and have to convince someone else in like a service-based business like this. So that was a huge turning point too, right? Because I was working with someone who's like a friend of mine as well. And so, you know, those are all falling out. And so there was a lot of turmoil amongst all of this stuff at some point. And you just have to jump. I mean, I, and there wasn't any net, right? And I tell people <laughs> no, don't do no. that, right? Like, actually, I tell people now don't do what I did because it wasn't. But for me in the moment, I really didn't have a choice. Right. Right. Well, it's it's like a lot of people, like myself included. I moved to this country with you know not not much money. Didn't didn't go to school here, and I had to back yourself, right? And if you get to that point in your life where you just if you can't back your your own self, then who are you going to back? And I, and I think it it goes to back to um, many people have had on the show, and and that 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 the challenge and of when is the right time to take a leap. And I remember someone saying to me. There's never going to be green lights, you know, in the traffic, you know, all the way along. And yet yes. at some point you have to, as you said, take that leap of faith because life is, as you said, nonlinear. And it's not till you take it and struggle and struggle again and struggle some more. And then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I've built all this, all this awesome stuff and I've built this life for myself. So, um, but let's talk now, dive into the business of what you do now because you've, you've come from tech through the world of startup What's your focus and what's your expertise in and around helping other entrepreneurs, CEOs, and executives maximize their life and build really awesome business culture? Yeah, so I have definitely different sets of people. People come to me for career advice and what should I do to sort of manage my way forward, right? And that's a different set of people. And usually that's a senior level person who's at some crossroads, right? And they've got to figure it out how to make it a go forward basis in what they're doing. And then I have other set of people that come to me, like I want to be a better leader and manager, right? I'm stuck um, or my team is stuck and they're having a lot of problems and how can you help them? And so that's a piece of it. And then I'll have another set of people that will come to me that do more culture and more team building and employee engagement, right? And sort of conflict resolution issues that'll come up that there are some issues or challenges and they know they can do better. And if they can get a team performing at a super high level, then there's really no stopping them, right? 
And so usually it's one of the three buckets that someone will come to me. And usually it's in a time of some level of a crisis. I mean, I'd love to have people come to me when they're, everything's going great, but that rarely happens. It's usually there's some turning point. But it's, it's interesting you say that because it does take that hitting rock bottom to say, I can't, I'm, the systems aren't working or something's not working that I've got to go and seek help from someone like yourself in order to build a better mousetrap. Because the fact is, you know, we all know about building businesses, it's tough. And so keeping that um, self-awareness alive to say, well, things are going good now, but what happens if they don't start going good? And do I have the right systems in place in order to support that? So I guess one of my big questions to you is like, what are the what what is the number one thing that you see, regardless of business size, when it comes to business culture, that people struggle with? Well, I think one. I mean, the two soft skills by far, and I think everything else is far below. Is one is self awareness. It's just really poor, right? And and if you can't you can't regulate your own and and calibrate what your internal is versus the external world you're going to have a lot of problems. And that's pretty much every person. The data is like 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% are. And it's worse the higher level you get, right? So that, and one of the things for learning and getting a lot of coaching and talking to people, it's really about pattern recognition. And what ends up happening is the patterns early on in your life end up haunting you right now, right? If you're a poor listener, it may come from things like, oh, uh, I grew up in a family of six kids, right? And I had a, I talk over everyone else in order to get heard. So not listening got me what I wanted, but now it's undermining my entire success. So helping people see those patterns are pretty massive because if not, they get in the way of everything else. Because when I go in with someone, I don't know what's going on and what problems there are, right? I'm working with a a commercial real estate company, a large one, and they're a high-performing team, and they're having a lot of problems. Well, you got to get to each one of their self-awareness before I can really get them a group and talking and doing all this stuff. Obviously, I'm helping them. We're going along, but they have to come to their own realization of where their blind spots are and understand that other people's path is about their own blind spots and patterns and be able to see them and work with them. Otherwise, the rest of the activities of getting people together won't all work because you're hitting your head against the wall and you're not recognizing what's going on. And the other part of it is just teamwork, right? Teamwork is extremely complex. It is the most complex thing. And after, you know, working with thousands of people, talking with tons of human resources people and speaking at a lot of conferences this year, it's the least understood. And it's the biggest problem. And really, teamwork comes down to one fundamental question is, you know, do I trust you or not? And do I have extreme trust, meaning on a scale of one to five, is it a five? And if it's not a five, I have a zero. And essentially, all the research and all the stuff I'm doing, that's where it is. And it, everything emanates out from there. Almost every problem I have is a trust problem. I don't, tr I don't communicate because I don't trust you. I don't do this because I don't trust you, right? So when we deal with that as the root, we can go and build there. Conflict resolution stuff I have with people. You all have to start there because that's the problem. It's a trust problem. And if I can't rebuild the trust and get them to start doing that and take it head on and, and actually have them realize it's that, talking issues out isn't going to help because immediately what happens when you're doing with uh, trust and distrust is that you keep going in that direction, right? So if I distrust someone, I'm looking for evidence about distrust, right? So whatever they do, if it's positive, I'm thinking, oh, is the next shoe going to drop? Well, what else are they going to do? Are they really doing, are they really coming in the office and working really hard now because they want to? And is it going to sustain it, right? All these questions, they look for negative intent. They're looking for the evidence where if I trust someone, you give them the benefit of the doubt. You, you think differently about them. So it becomes the huge piece of this that you have to understand before you can get into how do I build these relationships amongst the team and amongst a larger organization? And how do I do that really quickly in today's world of agile businesses, right? And it also has to do not only internally, but how do you do this externally with clients, prospects, partners? Because they're all essentially a part of your team. It's just a different way of viewing it. I'm interrupting this episode to remind you guys about the Syndicator Incubator Mastermind Group. If you want to take your investing career to the next level and surround yourself with the best in the business, then apply today. Spots are filling up fast. I'm only taking a handful of people for the next round, so get your application by emailing me at info 
info at reedgoosens.com. Remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack. Now, back into the show. To build that trust or, or to start off on the right foot, what is the number one piece of advice to get to not start off on the wrong foot and have the trust be an issue that manifests itself into worse situations in the future that can really you know, make or break a business? Yeah, so I have two things now that I work on people. I work with them. One is I use the game I created, Cards Against Mundanity. And the reason is, is because I find that when you start at the key lever to skyrocketing trust is being vulnerable and sharing experiences, thoughts, setbacks, whatever, that you would only share with people in your inner circle. Because what happens is you let people know about the things that really matter with you and you show them you're human, you show them they're vulnerable, just like you, you feel all these emotions and they know intimate details of it. And what happens is psychologically, they feel like you're in their inner circle, not experience wise, time wise, right? Because you aren't, but psychologically you are. So then people do much different things than how they interact with you. It's just like, for instance, if you meet someone or someone in the audience meets someone and in five or 10 minutes, they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've known you all my life or I feel like I've known you really well. If we watch that experience between those people in which I have, someone was vulnerable, right? Which then told someone else, it's okay to share with me, otherwise I wouldn't be vulnerable. And then you stair step that process so fast you did what an average person would do in 20 or 30 interactions, but you do it in one. So that rises to the level of like, wow, I want to stay in touch with you or look at what all happened. Well, the key is if you can keep figuring out how to do that over and over again, that's magic. And when you can do that inside of a group, that's how you get people to perform at their highest levels because they communicate different, they collaborate, they resolve conflicts. They do things like your inner circle. They let things go because their relationship is more important than the argument itself. And so all of that stuff is the secret. And the other part of that I had people doing, and I'm noticing a lot more of really great managers and extraordinary manager doing some version of this is creating a how to work with me manual, right? Asking questions where you're so explicit about things like what are your pet peeves? How do you best work? How do you like to communicate with other people? How do you like people to bring up touchy subjects with you, right? If someone does do something to upset you, how do you like someone to apologize? I mean, getting really specific in getting that between everyone, and you can either write that up or interview people and go back and forth and go over it, but that way you're super explicit because otherwise no one knows. The problem that happens in these teams and with everyone else is guesswork, right? So I guess with you, Reed, how, I, I'm guessing how do I communicate you when I'm interacting? Well, what if I guess wrong, right? That causes a lot of problems, right? And if I don't view myself and us as like on the same level or a kinship between you just naturally for other things, then if you do these things, I start getting distrust. And I think negatively of you. And that's what happens on these teams because they don't do the basic level of work of doing block and tackling of exact things that someone who knew you really well would already know, right? And that way, when you know these things, then your learning curve is really a lot slower or shorter and smaller, right? Now, it may not be perfect, but it's way closer and it's easy to optimize it. And when you open up that path, it's much easier if I'm upset with you to say, Reed, you know, the story in my head I'm making up today is you've been walking by me and you don't really care about interacting with me. And you could say, no, I'm just really busy or really stressed out. And then we squash it, right? It doesn't fester for 6, 12, 18, 24 months, which is the problem. And then things go awry. And this happens over and over and over again all across in organizations. And that becomes a huge problem. And so those two things alone, there's other things to do, but those two things are simple. They're not hard. They don't take that much time, but they're really overlooked because people just assume, oh, they're going to figure it out. They don't. Right, right, right. right? And, and I think the biggest thing that come out of that is, is, is communication, but the vulnerability is such a key piece of yes. it. Yes. You know, um, a lot of people, when you see them speaking from stage, you know, you you think you think of inspirational speakers they they they're able to break down that vulnerability of a of a of a crowd or of someone that you don't know quite quickly through storytelling you know telling yes. an example of something you know information story information story 
And then that is able to say, well, I relate with you already because you and I have shared a similar experience based on the story you just, you just shared with me. Yes, so I'm exactly. automatically going to, back to your, your trust thing, I, as, a, as a, someone sitting in the audience or someone in a, in a team, I'm going to then want to instill trust in you as the, as the leader or the, the business owner or whatever that might be, the head of the, head of the team, um, to guide us in the right direction and hopefully you trust me to help you get along that, 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 that path as well. Is that sort of what I'm, what yeah, I'm hearing? Exactly. Because you're vulnerably sharing with me, right. And you're sharing things. And the questions I'd ask of people would be, tell me the most important lesson you've learned in the last year. What's your biggest setback and why who's your personal hero, right? You know, tell me the last time you're really vulnerable with someone and shared something meaningful. Well, these are all things you'd only tell probably a couple of people in your life. And the reality is the questions I just asked you and several more of them, no one in your life actually probably knows the answers to those questions, right? And that's, that's the sad part of it. Because I ask people all the time when I'm at audiences, well, how many, you just shared this with strangers and a small group of seven people that you don't know. And they know the answers to things that the people closest to you couldn't answer, right? And I ask how many people would know the answer all seven or five questions? And no one ever raises their hand, right? Ever has ever raised their hand, right? And that's what the problem. The bar is so low, I always say people, a snake could crawl over it because just, we just don't communicate and share these things with other people. Yet we magically in companies and businesses and executives think, oh, they should just go figure all this stuff out on their own, right? And that also in essence is what great salespeople do when you get behind the cover. They're able to build rapport, like you said, trust and be vulnerable. Now they'll do it in a different way, but what this allows people to do is see what is it that they're doing? Because the problem when you ask really good salespeople to break it down, a lot of this is just part of who they are. It, it, it's hard for them to share it with someone else and for them to get it and implement it. But when you get the peek behind the curtain and can see that's exactly how you need to feel, that's exactly what needs to go on. And if you can do that with a customer by starting to ask stories of like, so what are you most excited about in your life right now? What are you most grateful about? Like, who is your personal hero, right? And ask that of people you're doing business with, right? In a sales mode, you, you build massive trust because you're doing exact. The only people who would ask them that question are who? People they trust the most, right? So what happens? Then they trust you a lot more as a complete stranger or someone they don't know because that's a natural progression of the way we work. And I found this out in my own social life by asking people and doing things that they were starting to treat me differently. And I thought it was ridiculous at the time, but now I realize since it happened so many times back when I first moved to Dallas, that that's how people operate. Because most people don't do these things that we're talking about at all, at any level. Interesting. No, and I think it's, it comes back to a little bit of upbringing. You know, like it's not taught yes. necessarily in school or university about how to be vulnerable, about how to team leadership. You've, got, you've really got to, you know, seek that type of stuff out. Uh, and then in terms of being an effective communicator, I know like even um, I talk a lot about emotional intelligence, particularly with my wife. Like she is so much more emotionally intelligent than I am. And I've grown so much in the way that I think about empathy and different types of things because, you know, I'm very much a black and white, got to charge to that next horizon over there and that next goal and I don't stop and think about well how does that affect the people around me and and that in itself is a leadership role um, but I'm sharing a vulnerable story with you to 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 create a, a path there but being emotionally intelligent is not something that you were taught um, at school or, or yep. it, it comes through life experiences it comes through being back to being self-aware and I know personally that I've worked in the last couple of years really hard at being self-aware because you can't, if you're not self-aware, you're going to just be steaming along and you're just not going to enjoy the journey of building this awesome you know, business and, and, and lifestyle for yourself. And, and what's the point, right? And um, I, 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 um, I go off topic just a little bit, but the reason I say that is because of the importance of understanding vulnerability, understanding how to break yes. down um, the interactions with someone when you're leading a team, because so many, and I've, I've been in the corporate world myself, and I hate when people do certain things, micromanage, and micromanagement's a trust issue because, you know, you, you don't trust me to do it as best as you can do it. And so there's just so many different ways in which can get under people's skin. And I, and I really love the, 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 the tool that you were talking about, about the sort of interview questions of how would you like to be treated and how do you like to be communicated to, because that there nips it in the butt. No, you've told it to me. I've got it on a piece of paper. I've got it recorded on a video, whatever it might be. And now I can go back to it and say, okay, well, this person, you know, 
uh, Joe Blow, he, he you know if something comes up, he wants to be told directly, or he needs to, you know some quiet time to sit down and say, hey, you know, let's address this issue right now and and, and make sure it doesn't fester and cause you know a divide within the group and you know on on our mission to get the the job done. And it saves so, you a lot of time too because they're right. giving you the roadmap, right? You don't have right. to guess, and that is the whole the piece of it, right? Like, right. stop guessing and just have people tell you, right? Hope is not a strategy in business, but that's what people do when it comes to teamwork and getting people together to work on stuff. They're just hoping they're going to figure it all out, and I'm like, no, you can do some simple things to get them to ensure that you do. And there's there are people out there in businesses that are doing this thing. There's not as many of them, but they're figuring this out because the roadmap is the easiest way. And being vulnerable is key because psychological safety is a key phrase that people use to say in an environment where people can share, step up, dissent, take different opinions. And that's where you do the best work. Well, you have to have a high level of trust and evidence that you can do that with those people. Otherwise, you're going to stay silent. And when people stay silent, then you can't do your best work because you can't bring out the best in each person. So these are all business things and studied and showing like Google had the study project Aristotle where they looked across the company to see what was the number one thing that was linked to high performance. And they found that it was psychological safety. There were no individual indicators across the company that were uniform with all their high performing team. Their, all their high performing teams had psychological safety and that was the only thing they had. And without psychological safety, they had four other things that they found and none of them were there without it. Like, so, when you mean psychological safety, what specifically do you mean? Psychologically- so psychologically safe is that you feel free to speak up, share your mind, right? Dissent in front of other people inside of the group, right? In order to do and ask questions that may appear stupid, right? Um, and you're able to manage risk, right? So if you make a mistake, it's not held against you in terms of you have to learn from and be accountable and what you do with that information moving forward. But if you make a mistake, you're not told, oh, you're an idiot or there's some negative consequence against it, right? So it encourages people to get out of their comfort zone and give their best efforts, realizing you're going to have to pivot just like any other entrepreneur would have to do, right? But in businesses, now somehow we make sure that we want people to be perfect, right? And if not, there are penalties against them all the time, right? Well, then that makes people feel like, I can't speak up, I can't do stuff. And then people aren't giving you 100% effort because they're just waiting to, for confirmation or they're waiting to ensure in their head that they have everything figured out. Well, that takes a long time and people are silent a lot of the time if that's the case because they have to feel sure in order to do that. Right. No, it, it, it's interesting. I was, when I first hired my, my first ever virtual assistant, I remember explaining something to them and they didn't you know the, the task ended up being really poor and they came back with a lot of questions and it just got it got me frustrated because I'm like why don't you just get it you know sort of thing and what it, it took me like being this more self-aware and working on the self-awareness um, to realize that I didn't explain the outcome I didn't explain the task correctly and I didn't exp- answer the questions up front and yet I now learned that if I was in this is just simple communication particularly when you're doing virtually assistance to spend more time on the front end, really detailing the, the the outcomes, what I want, why am I doing this? You know, the bigger picture here. Um, why am I doing this? Why are you doing this specific task for me? And literally nine times out of ten, if I spend that extra 20, 20, 10, 15, 30 minutes describing it a lot better, the outcome is ten times better. I don't get questions, and it's it comes down to communication. It comes down to making sure that realizing that it was my issue that I wasn't getting the task I wanted done correctly because I wasn't explaining it right. And that in itself took me a long time to learn rather than like, oh, you're a bloody idiot because you didn't, you know, why, you, why can't you just figure this out? You know, like as you're talking about yourself, but it takes that few stumbles to understand, well, hang on, it's me. I, I'm, I'm the manager and the buck stops with me and I've got to then reassess and say, okay, where have I gone wrong here? Uh, in order yes. to say, well, maybe I need to do something differently to have a different outcome, and that you know, the old saying, you you do the same thing, expect a different outcome. You go, you're technically insane. <laughs> but at being uh, an entrepreneur and, and starting to lead my own team of, of people that I'm creating this business, um, it was really quite eye opening to me. And, and, and looking back, it's such a such a such an interesting thing as we evolve as as leaders and stuff like that. Um, one thing I want to ask you because I know personally. Being a sole entrepreneur and going in and now having employees that work for me and 
you know, you wanting to touch everything and you can't get out of your own way, right? You're the bottleneck in the business. How many people do you see, particularly that solo entrepreneur going into getting some employees and building that team culture and building the mission statements and all that good sort of stuff? How, how many is it that, they, that, that the leader or the founder is the bottleneck? In that in 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 growth, a lot, yes. Right, because delegation is something that has to be a conscious decision and letting go, right? And realizing that, and I think you have to understand your role, and that's the problem, right? Everyone thinks that they can be perfect or they have to, and that's why they micromanage other people, right? They don't, and, and they don't understand the consequences of really doing all of the things that were talking about now, right? So going back to your thing about the virtual assistant and the 10 times X, well, I've been working with quite a few teams and doing conflict resolution. I've sort of done the back of the envelope calculations and talking to people for a team of five that's high performing. Like how many hours a month are they wasting on miscommunication, misalignment, whatever? And I've got to the point where the numbers are somewhere between 200 and 275 hours a month. Right now, they're never going to get all those back, but they're going to get back a lot. So when you talk about 10x for people listening to this and seeing, oh, well, I can't understand what that means. Get that for a team of five high performing, how much of that's going right down the drain and why this is all important. Right. And it goes back to delegation, too. Just like what you did. Right. What you have to do is realizing, sure, the people underneath you at some level, they probably can't do it as well as you, but they'll never be able to unless you give them an opportunity and your job is to think outside the business, right? Coach, develop them, do other things, not do the rest of the task because that's not a good use of your time. And you've just got to take them along the journey. And if everyone does their, does their job in six or 12 months, you're going to be significantly farther along. But just like you did with a virtual assistant is the same way you gotta think of it now. I've got to put on the front end because now I'm going to get a great situation and I'm going to get people who are going to love working for me because I am going to empower them to do whatever they can do and make them limitless, right? Because you're like, oh, great idea. Let's talk about this and work this through, right? And sometimes you'll coach them and convince them they'll see that that's not, but sometimes they'll bring things to you and just run with it and then we'll do work that's like way more than they would have ever done before because they're, it's theirs and they're running with it and they feel excited and empowered because they can see the impact and they're owning it, right? And they're seeing the problem and the solution. You got to get out of your own way, right? Exactly. And then you built an actual asset, right? A yes. business asset. You built a team um, it, it's a human being, obviously, if it, if it is a human being, but it's someone who is taking ownership within the business who wants the business to succeed because you're allowing them the space and the time and the energy and the culture, all those good things to evolve as a person. And that really what people, you know, there's a lot of studies about, you know, paycheck is one one very small piece of the overall mission when someone wants to join a company. It's because of mission statements, because of culture, it's because of all that, you know, plenty of studies have been done. I'm sure you've you know a lot about it. But that when you're building a business and getting out of that bottleneck, because a lot of people in this show are solo entrepreneurs who are coming into being, you know, 10, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20 people, and that struggle to grow and get it maybe a more of a plateau because they're not realizing they are. They're working even harder than they've worked in the past yes. and they've just created a job for themselves. And oh my gosh, it's like, well, realize that you're the issue, right? And you, yes. haven't, you haven't set up the right um, goals or you haven't set up the right mousetrap on the front end in order to empower your team to go off and become an asset for you so you don't have to spend <laughs> 80 hours a week trying to keep the business together right and it's it's such a it's such an interesting uh, it's it's such, so many people I come across who interview on the show have the same struggles and I personally go and am going through it and have gone through it and will continue to go through it as I evolve as a leader uh, and, and a business owner. So it's just, it's so interesting to me, um, this whole space. <laughs> but if you do things and you have to keep a communication path, you have a whole different thing. Like I have a client in the real estate business and, and, and working with him to sort of structure the business different and have different communications. He's got people that are going to go eventually going to go out on their own and do their own businesses. Right. Well, Having those conversations on the front end and structuring them all gives him a way better advantage than other people. Why? Because he's had people leave and he's had an opportunity to invest in those people's businesses because he knew that, and that now isn't money working for him and growing forever, right? He's building his own stack separately instead of putting his head in the sand and saying, oh, these people will never leave or not communicating with them or not helping them do it 
or telling them about it right now. He has an asset, right? Ongoing that he's doing that he knows and people are going to do it. Then they're going to bring this thing up to him. And then he's an opportunity. If he wants to try to have a conversation, great. But if not, they're doing it. Now he has an opportunity to make money off it. In fact, in another way than he would have never had, had he thought about it differently and didn't structure it like this with this communication. And that's what a lot of people don't realize is they don't think about human nature, human behaviors. What are people going to do? And if you thought about that, you could structure it so it could work for you, not against you, right? And control is all about fear. And it's about your fear that if you let it go, it's going to all fall apart. And that never happened in any business ever, that that was the reason why that it didn't succeed. I was reading a stat that 66% of business failures are because of people issues, right? There are communication issues between co-founders and other things that are going on. That's why they fail, not the business itself, not the idea, not even the execution of the product or service. So it's what we're talking about is undermining people at every level, no matter what business size they are, if it's one person or, you know, a hundred thousand. It's, it's, it's it's so interesting that what you've just said there about the, um, I I was in a similar scenario where back in my job, I just hated it. I was a structural engineer, went to become a developer, you know, uh, an owner's rep at a development company, ultimately learned the ropes and then went out and started my own real estate investing company. But the day in which I came to leave, it's sort of like they were shocked. And I'm like, how are you shocked? You're teaching me all this stuff. I'm literally going to fly away from the nest. And you're sitting there with your, your jaw open. Like you should have thought about like now what I know when I bring on an employee, you know, not that I do it consciously, but I know in the back of my mind, I hope one day they do they go off and become me. Like I, if I see the person within, like I don't, you don't want to hire yourself. They talk about hiring people and a whole different topic to talk about, but to be okay with having an employee go off and be better and understand that they are, they could go and start their own business and you're going to be okay with that. And, 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 and to create an asset and maybe, maybe potentially invest in that person's business in the future. But I, I've seen so many ugly situations where people have come to leave. They've gone out to try and be, start a com- competitor to the company that they worked at, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, it's got really messy. And I'm seeing, sitting there thinking, how is this a shock? Like you're literally teaching me how to do everything that I that you do and I'm just going to go off and do it a little bit different. I'm not going to compete on your level, but I'm still going to go off and want to do it. Yes. And it's just, it's such a weird that people don't realize that after so many years of just, you know, entrep- you know this whole wave of entrepreneurship that's coming along and everyone wants to have a go of it themselves and lead a new life. Like you said, when you sat down and interviewed all these bloody people and they said it's a terrible life and I'm not happy at all and you got to go off and you know strum your own um your own drum and and if you don't do that you're going to be regret uh and and wake up when you're 65 years old and think god I wish I'd done that <laughs> I bet all the people in that business did zero self-awareness work and zero self-inquiry and introspection and that's why they're at where they're at right so the key thing is You've got to start with self-awareness and invest in these. I, I mean, they're not really soft skills. They're essential business skills and master them because that is a requirement in today's world. And if you don't, it will come back to haunt you, right? And then what will happen is things like this, right? And I, I mean, I deal with this all the time where people will come and like, I can't believe that this actually happened, right? All business people where there's fights and other things on the team and they don't even know what's happening. And I'm like, how is that possible, right? And I think to myself, and I think, well, of course it is. If you put your head in the sand and don't ask, then how would you know, right? Because they might not, they're not going to tell you because they don't feel like you're going to listen to them, but you don't even get that part of it. You think that you have this open door. Like one thing that'll happen all the time is I'll talk to people, um, especially higher level people, and they'll be like, well, I have an open door. And then I'll ask them, well, how many people have walked through that door? And it'll end up being zero. And I'm like, so how open is that door really? Right. Right. But they don't. Just because you say it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if you say some general platitude, like on Facebook, right, you say to someone, hey, if I can help you, let me know. Well, whoever replied to someone's comment that said that, right? Right. And then then if they did, then if they did, and you're like, I don't have time for you. (laughs) Exactly. Right. You probably would, even if that happened, but that'd be a rare circumstance. So, we don't think about this stuff. So that's the same thing that happened in your in your own company that you work for. You ask, how can they be surprised? And I'm like, well, of course they are. Because there's a rare level of people that are doing all this stuff and taking it. Because the hardest thing is to look in your own accountability mirror for the first time and looking deep and seeing what's inside. Because it's scary, right? It's not easy to do that. It's easy to deflect, blame others, 
look elsewhere and not do the hardest work ever, which is looking internally, right? Because you've got to look at your own infallibility, all the things that have gone on, take a look at your life, the ups and downs, and own it and take ownership and accountability for it. It's a hard thing for a human being to do the first time through. Afterwards, it's way easier, right? As you're seeing, as you're doing stuff, it's much easier to course correct now because you don't have to go through that anymore. You've done it once, so now it's much easier. Like, oh yeah, this makes sense, right? I'll just pivot or do this, and then you just do it. You don't have to go back to that one day. But most people never do that stuff, right, ever. And it doesn't matter about resources, right? It doesn't matter how much money you have. That doesn't, that doesn't help people do it at all. It's just they don't choose to be resourceful and get this done. <laughs> well, Jason, mate, I could talk to you for hours. We've already been talking for a long period of time. So I want to be very, very respectful of your time. Um, at the end of every show, I like people to dive into their top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? I am ready to get into it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? So every day I get up and say three things that I'm grateful for. And just quickly in my own head, because it helps me look at the world in abundant state. And I try to pick simple things, right? Like the roof over my head or my dogs or my girlfriend or kids and stuff like this, just things that I'm doing because that really helps me start then going in the world and looking and saying, hey, what's possible? What could I do today, right? Instead of getting a negative mindset or letting some things tip you off that then can put you on a path to kill your energy. <laughs> exactly. No, and it's such a, such importance to being gratitude. And I've learned, personally, I learned a lot about that recently. And taking that time to pause and say, this is why I'm grateful. And it can be as simple as it's a beautiful day, right? <laughs> Simple as that. So, uh, who is the most influential person in your career to date? You know, there's it's it, hard because I think there's there's been different points at different times, positive people and other people that have really made an impact on my life. So it's one of these things where I don't think anyone necessarily stands out for me is like someone who did something for me in doing it. But I had people when I moved to, when I was going to go to Austin, that person stood up and took me to another job, right? So there's, I've had been fortunate to have a lot of people help me and do things as guideposts along the way. And I feel that those are the, I mean, in general, I think for all of us, we have those, right? There are people out there. We just have to open our mind and seeing like all the help that we got all along. And sometimes it's even people saying no, because those people forced us to do something else that seemed punitive or super hard, but it got us to take massive action to be in the situations that we are today. So, 100%. No, I completely agree. Um, in your business, what is the number one tool, whether it be software or hardware related, that you use to, to, to be successful? You know, it may sound simple, but I often use just Google Calendar because I can't, it's easy for me on the fly to calendar things. I'll use, you know, Trello to keep track of some things. I'll use notes. I kind of vacillate between things depending on projects and what I have to do, but I try to keep it pretty simple and not over-engineer the technology piece of things because it just... There's just too many other things. And I find it in the day, I've tried a lot of productivity things, right? I'll use, someone told me, I think this tool, OWL, that I can use to do voice recordings and transcripts. And sure, I'll use those things here and there, but they kind of fluct they fluctuate depending on what it is that I'm working on and how I'm going about stuff. So, but in general, I try to keep things at a minimum. Otherwise, I'm just distracted. And I'm, and I'm one of these people that's so curious that if I started to let myself go in that direction, I'd be looking for productivity hacks and stuff all the time, and that would be really distracting. So I have no. to save myself. No, it's, it, keep it simple, stupid, right? The, the things that work yes. and, and then stick to your guns. Mate, in one sentence, what has been the biggest failure in your career, and what did you learn from that failure? You know, I think that probably one of the things was when I had a business partner and I started on my own that I probably got in and stuck with it as long because I let myself sort of be second and I rationalized it all in my head. And then I realized at that point, as I thought through, we can pretty much rationalize everything. Right. I mean, I, I thought, Oh, we'd be a team and we're doing stuff. We weren't really a team. I made it that way. Right. 
And then when I started to realize and see things the way that they really were, that I was Robin, right, and that I had to step up in my own life, I realized for several years that I had sort of derailed my own thing and just thought really small. And there was no way for me to be successful unless I did it all on my own with the situation I was in. And so I would consider that to be because it was just a lot of wasted time that I could have done things earlier and taken the leap and just done it myself interesting yeah being 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 the the batman to your batman right not be the robin to your batman yeah exactly and you have to do that in life and it's easy to start thinking oh it's great to start a business and do something with someone else but you have to be an equal footing with them Mm, you do you 100 percent do and you also got to bring skill sets that are a complimentary otherwise it's if you do partner up it's no point in trying to have two two cooks in the kitchen otherwise it doesn't really work and <laughs> so. you got to worry about someone else's drive right that's the other thing right if you have tremendous drive and vision and you want to take it somewhere the challenges with doing with someone else is you've got to take them along and that often can be really difficult because you often find that what works at one time doesn't work other places and you know, most of the time when you talk to successful people, they'll tell you horror stories of business partners, right? We just don't, people don't talk about that enough, but almost everyone who's done it, it hasn't worked out very well. They've had some significant issues along the way. Right. Well, mate, I want to thank you for coming on the show today. But uh, last question is, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to just check out what you, uh, you're you putting out in the world. Where do they go? Sure. You can go to my website. It's uh, jasontreu.com. That's jasontreu.com. And you can get my free game, Cards Against Mundanity, there and play it with your team. Or I'm, I just am launching a physical card deck because so many people wanted it that awesome. I decided to sit it down. And that was more work almost than a book was. So um, <laughs> <laughs> these are things you think are simple. They take you a lot longer. Yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine, mate. Well, look, as I said, thank you so much for dropping by. Some of the quick, just quick takeaways that I, I took away from today's show. And then I think the, the number one thing is you have to understand your role in a business. And, and I think you going in and you know talking about communication and talking about self-awareness and being vulnerable... Um, but if you're not understanding where your role is in that in that in a, in a team situation, to then break down where you're lacking in the skill sets that can help you bring a team together is really important. And uh, loved our conversation in and around about bottlenecks and solo entrepreneurs growing into being, you know, trying to scale their business and, and how, how sometimes they can sometimes plateau a little bit uh, because they're not realizing or being self-aware that they're in their own way and trying to get in and out of your way. Um, did I leave anything out? No, I think you got a great summary. It was awesome, a great conversation. Mate. Well, thank you again so much for dropping by. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very soon. Well, there you have it. Another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice and some actionable steps. Please make sure you go over to Jason's website and grab his cards against mundanity. It sounds like an incredible little game and I can't wait to come out in physical form because I know I'm going to have to get it for myself and my team. Um, I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we're all about on this show. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember to be bold, be brave, and go give life a